Hi, friends, and welcome to the Good Work Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Leonard, and we are here to ask the question, what does good work mean to you? We'll explore the values that drive us, the tensions we wrestle with, and ultimately how we connect the dots between achievement and fulfillment in our lives. Sound heavy? Nah. Let's lighten up and dive in. Welcome, everybody. I am delighted and excited and very energized to be here with two of my favorite humans on the planet that I've had the pleasure of getting to know in these last couple of years. Brooke McNamara and Lauren Beal are creative practitioners, artists, creative thinkers, lovers of big, beautiful, impossible questions, mothers, um, both students and practitioners of Zen. They have taught in multiple communities, age ranges, and cultures across the world, including Nairobi University, Colorado University, Boulder. And if you want to learn more about their titles and backgrounds and bona fides and very professional sounding things, you can head over to their websites, which I'll make sure to include in the in the show notes. And coming up this fall, they'll be leading a creative practice container called Cultivate, which is really exploring creative practice in the belly of impermanence. And I've also had the pleasure of being able to continue my creative practice in being held by your loving gazes and and arms in studios here locally. So I'm delighted that you're here. Welcome to the Good Work Podcast. Hi. 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 Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Thank you. And I just said before we started that when I see both of you, because of course we can see each other as we record this, when I see both of you, my my impulse is to immediately get on the floor and get out of this chair that I'm sitting in. I just want to be on the floor. I want to free my limbs and just be splayed out so that we can... Uh, be in play mode because how wonderful that's that is the mode that I have been in community with you both most it's just wonderful so I'm so glad that you're here and let's dive in so cultivate is coming up and you know creative practice in the belly of impermanence so wonderful and I have to share with everyone that you You took this idea and you kind of continued it into the digital space during the pandemic so that those of us who wanted to continue to cultivate our creative practices had a place to land, even when we didn't have a particular goal that we were working towards. And I think that is what has really magnetized me to you is your support and love of process and the commitment to to the process and the exploration of things regardless of attachment to the outcome so that's that's kind of where where this friendship love affair began but i'm curious how did you both arrive in the work that you do now individually and together because often um you also work together so who who feels brave and wants to yeah. start. We're gonna, we're gonna <laughs> listen for who who's who it's gonna come through. Do you want to start, Lauren? Um, sure. 
Well, there's that big, beautiful, impossible question that we love. How did we get here doing the work that we love to do? And um, I think I always love to tell the story that moves Brooke and I back into grad school when we were young beings at the University of Colorado. Yeah, spring chickens in the University. Younger. Younger. (laughs) um, (laughs) University of Colorado in Boulder. And um, I always like to, from my perspective, because Brooke has a different perspective, but I'll, I'll just weave in my perspective. I was fascinated. I, I kind of got turned on to Brooke because I could feel from across the room this magnetism. And at that point, I, it was had this competitive vibe to it, you know, and, um, cause I could just feel that there was something really special, something really vibrant, something vivid and like spectacular about her. But I always know that now I know I didn't know then, but now I know when I have that feeling, I'm going to have a competitive edge at first, one that wants to sort of rip them to shreds. And, <laughs> but, but actually that's like the clue, right? Like that's uh-huh. the clue that I actually want to be closer and that there's actually something really alive brewing between us. But I didn't know that then. I didn't know myself well enough then. I just felt this competitive edge, a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of like, um, wanting to crush her. So that I could live. So like my, my create creativity, you know, it was just one of those things that was, I don't know, a little black and white, a little threatening to myself. And, and, and I just didn't understand, you know, the dynamism of creative life force and aliveness. So daunting. However, I was able to navigate that just enough to, I think she inquired to me, and well, Brooke, you tell your side of the story about the crush energy. Yeah. We still like to use that word and we'll, we'll talk about that more later. That word has some great double meanings and it, you know, here it is, is that I remember auditioning for graduate school and seeing Lauren from across the room and we'd never met, but I, I thought I knew her. I even went up to her and said, do we know each other? The dance world is so so small and interconnected, maybe we've crossed paths. It was a recognition, some kind of other recognition, because we didn't know each other. And I was sort of intimidated by Lauren, because she has this like, badass quality, especially when she's dancing. But then agreed. (laughs) A couple months into grad school, once we both got in and we started, we were in choreography composition class together. And she did this really, really touching, really vulnerable, really thought-provoking solo that used spoken word, uh, speech and movement. And it was so good and so edgy and different than anything I had experienced yet in grad school. I think like the next night we went out for beer for my birthday and I sat next to her and I said, I have a creative crush on you. Do you want Hmm. to collaborate? So that's how I framed it. She wanted to crush me and I had a creative crush. (laughs) So (laughs) we still like to use that when we're teaching. We ask students, what do you have a crush on? It doesn't have to be romantic or erotic. It can be just what's bringing you alive, a book, a tree, a place, a person. You have a crush on. And then also what's crushing you? Because we can learn a lot about ourselves and each other by what we're wrestling with and also what's truly genuinely bringing us alive and it's a good tension place to to start with in a creative process Mm. but that's kind of our origin story as partners and i (laughs) 
I, I laugh because I witnessed how beautifully you collaborate and work together now. So the idea of Lauren being across the room wanting to crush you genuinely does make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I yeah. was just innocently admiring her, <laughs> not knowing she wanted to smush me. <laughs> it, 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 it sets us up as um, at, at odds with each other a little bit. But I think what's so beautiful is that as soon as we got into the room together, so much of what we thought we were or what we thought each other was, it really dissolved away. And we were able to, to find the other thing alive in ourselves. And, and it was just such a powerful alchemy mm. that it was kind of undeniable. You know, like I think the, both of those energies could go various directions, but the, whatever particular alchemy happened between us, where it was able, it was able to really catalyze those together in a way that sort of blew our minds and blew our hearts open and kind of stopped us in our tracks. It just mm. feels like really a rare moment for sure mm. in my life that just blew everything wide open enough to, to pause and to get deeply more curious about what we were experiencing and what it was, what actually was happening. I think this is, that's what pointed us to both creating together for the sake of making art, quote unquote, you know, mm -hmm. what, it, what is it that we were going to make? But then the, just this process and practice of asking big questions and sourcing all of these different possible inquiries and modalities and then also just feeling so alive inside of the practice so it was both things were equally enlivening that we we started to give and tenderize give our attention to and tenderize both directions both creating and the thing that we, we were creating and then also just the continual process and practice that we were involved in and i i have to admit when you just said you know, the, the moment was so alive enough that it made you want to, when you said pause, I was not, you know, my, I think just our kind of cultural conditioning, I was certainly not expecting you to say pause, <laughs> right? Because we have this tendency when we feel that convergence of of energies and we have momentum behind something, we want to just go. And we want to do. And can you bring us in a little bit more into why at that moment in the creative process, why pause? Sure. It kind of makes me tender thinking about it because that pulse to rev and to move, you know, and when we're talking about creativity, it often is linked to what we're manifesting, you know? Yeah and making and putting out into the world. And so I think what felt so powerful is that sometimes that manifestation can feel so ego based, you know, mm -hmm. my voice, my desires, my intentions. So I think that's what got paused for me was, whoa, 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 whoa. Wow. Like something that is happening between us is bigger than either one of us. And it made me pause my own wheels a bit and um my own you know like <laughs> creative voice 
my voice, Lauren, the whole mm-hmm. Lauren, whatever Lauren is, because there was something that was happening between Brooke and I that wasn't Brooke or I mm-hmm. that like moved beyond the boundaries of our own identity, our own desires, our own intentions, our own sense-making, meaning-making systems of who, what, why, where, how, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And that felt surprising, but also deeply enlivening. Like there was something that I was super curious about. I don't know, Brooke, if you want to jump in. That was the pause that that happened for me. The ego subverting pause. Mm Yeah, I think Lauren just said it really beautifully and and also what I experienced and what we really intentionally tried to invite um participants in our classes into is a pause of habit. So like Leah, even in your question when you said in our culture has such an impulse to go and make and whether that's like ego or it's like capitalism, like I, I have to make money, so I have to be in motion to create resources. If I stop, I'm going to (laughs) die. Like I can feel that underlying a lot of activity and there's not a lot of explicit competition in, in our field and in grad school, but there is implicitly there's limited resources always. So, um, but there's unlimited imagination. And so I think we could just feel that if we, if we let our habitual momentum or egos be at the wheel we were just going to keep crashing into each other Mm -hmm. but if we and still to this day if we if we pause and listen to what what's really happening and what's what's right arising in the space between us there's actually a lot more (laughs) intelligence and good ideas if we can wait patiently and sit in the silence and sit with our discomfort sometimes that's where the gold is it's better than anything I could have thought of or she could have thought of. It's it's just available in our imagination collectively. So that's, I think, what the, the fruitful pause that we want to invite people into, even right now, even listening. A lot of times when I'm listening to a podcast, I'm like, what am I going to get from this? <laughs> totally. <laughs> and, um, but um, yeah, just to acknowledge, like, here we are together. And we don't have to rush through it or achieve anything besides this this yeah i think we're kind of playing with something that is so it's like the intangible magic of one of you said alchemy of when what wants to arise between two people or you know a person and an idea or you know whatever the kind of dual parties are that what arises in the space between having more to learn with more to learn from that than anything that could come from our kind of conscious thinking brains. And so often, you know, we're, it's like, how, how can you possibly quantify that thing, that unnameable, powerful moment? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, if you've experienced something like that, you know, I think another habit that creeps in is a craving for more, mm-hmm. right? Like, how do I now, how do I, how do we make it again? 
how do we find it again? How do we, right? And then we're, and then it's, we're trying to move it again instead of letting it move us, mm-hmm. you know, and for those that, you know, do not perhaps identify as creatives or, you know, perhaps come from a, a different background, but can relate to this experience of, you know, just knowing that thing that wants to be born is kind of greater than your own ego you know for those that may be intimidated by some of some of this you know creative practice language what would you say to someone who yeah who comes from a a different you know professional background or just may not identify much as a creative person but can relate to what you just described and might be thinking oh yeah, I think I think that's happened to me. You know, what would you say to them regarding this? I can jump in just quickly and then pass it to Lauren because I can feel that it happens all the time when when we're teaching or or in in practice where we say one thing and realize the exact opposite is also true. So I can feel how it's so true in our experience and my experience that pausing creates the conditions for something we haven't yet thought or imagined to seep in. But the the opposite maybe is to just like relentlessly follow delight. You know, like I, I really have learned to embrace the obsessive part of myself where I'm like, oh, God, that's funny. I'm going to just follow that thread to its end, you know, or like, oh, I love peaches. I'm going to write 10 poems about, you know, just so I think if pausing feels like not the right move for someone and like sitting and quiet and being with discomfort, I think also just playfully noticing what's true, like what brings you alive and what breaks your heart and tracking that and following that and playing with that. I think I'll just pass it to Lauren to see if she wants to build on anything. I said, but like to get in motion, to get into motion, like get on the floor, move around, go for a walk, look around, open your senses, feel your body, breathe, like just shake it out and start to see like, what do I want to explore? What genuinely makes me come alive? And nowhere in there did I hear you say, think about it more. (laughs) I think I do. I think I do think about it, but it's like in, in the context of meditating or moving or walking, it's like, Having my thinking mind in right relationship to all the other ways I can know. Mm-hmm. Um, cause sometimes I get good ideas from thinking, but not if I'm making my thinking mind the master of it all. Well, back when you when you were going to say, oh, what if you don't, you know, self-identify as an artist or creative, quote unquote, you know, and and we get that we get that a lot because I get that it can feel intimidating, you know, this whole idea of creativity, you know, and how often we hear, well, I'm not creative. And I think one of the things that we we truly have discovered, both in our own experience of like diving headfirst into creativity, um, identifying as artists of different mediums, dancers, poets, you know, all of the different things. But from there, it has moved more and more into the reality of, oh, this is a human is a human practice and because truly at the heart of creativity is all of the things that come into form 
and all of the things that move out of form. So every time that you pick up the way in which you pick up a coffee cup, the outfit or the suit or the hat or the scarf or the, you know, the way you wear your cross body bag, you know, the way in which you're going to have a conversation with someone you love, the way in which you're going to start off your presentation, the way in which you're going to pick up your kid from school and have that very difficult conversation about discipline or the thing that you're going to make for dinner, even as ordinary as hot dogs and mac and cheese. This is all like everything about that is creative practice because it's just what's coming through and into form and what's going out of form. So there's no way, there's actually no way that we creative. I think the thing that, that comes alive for me and, and, and continuously once draws me back to this practice is that it's a human practice and that we are continuously as human beings relating to all of reality and making those choices with how to participate it, participate with it. That's creative practice. There's an alchemy, there's impermanence, there's change, there's transformation, there's empowered expression. It's ordinary and it's extraordinary. No matter who you are, where you live, your circumstances, it's just is. It's our human nature. So that gives me great hope and great faith and great like, oh gosh, charge you bring this forth, not as like a frivolous hobby thing, but like, oh, wow, this is at the very crux of what it means to be human. Everybody is here and it's available. And it, it can just be one of those like deeply most profound, empowering recognitions. And when you say it, like I, you know, bring, bring this forth, bring it forth and not considering it frivolous or indulgent. What is, what is this it? That we all linked to our creative aliveness and to yeah. the cycle of creativity, the coming into form and the moving out of form. Yeah. I, I, I know that I certainly had my own kind of little mini artistic crisis in asking myself that why why does art matter right why why does this matter in the face of so many so many visible and measurable challenges in the world why be making art when you know fill in the blank uh, with whatever challenge is concerning and whatever thing breaks your heart and I wonder if either of you ever wrestled with that tension or if through your creative process that why that you just described sustains you and keeps you committed to this practice or do you ever struggle with that as well why art i think i had a pretty penetrating experience of when i was a teenager of feeling pretty lost I don't know, maybe most teenagers go through such identity transformation that they have something like that. But for me, it was around when my parents were getting divorced and just a lot of different things um, changing dramatically all at once. And in the feeling of kind of like free fall, 
it was so vivid that watching perf- live performance and training and and preparing and performing myself and also reading great poetry and and writing poems as a novice writer i really felt like that saved me at the level of my soul and well-being emotionally and so i think that that got me it was just su- such a penetrating experience that i haven't really wavered since then in terms of the power of art and like you said earlier leah that it's it's unquantifiable like one poem you can think of that poem wild geese by mary oliver like it's one poem but how many people has that touched and and really made them feel like they belong in the family of things um with like the image of the geese flying overhead and so there's just a way where i can feel logistically and practically that it t- that making art takes a foreground and then takes a background in my daily life in terms of what my kids need from me and what else is going on so it's not always like fully in front and center but it's always some kind of core feature of my life because i believe in its power so much but also cuz i need it like i i connect to something bigger and more mysterious when i'm making art even if i don't actually have an artifact or we don't have an artifact that we've made just participating in a creative conversation with Lauren or writing a shitty draft of a poem just getting into that space brings like a certain kind of nourishment that i need i just know that i do so it changes shape and form and and texture but it never leaves i just can't i can't live well without it yeah that's so awesome i love listening to you respond to that question and and i think many in many ways art art making dancing creating painting these things that that you know we could recognizably probably define as art those things have always saved my life in various ways that's I can totally resonate with what Brooke is saying just just has and it's precisely because of the things that you're pointing to it, it you know moving my body and dancing from a very early age was clear was just such a clear recognizable domain that allowed me to be more than one thing mm-hmm. and as I was experiencing you know so many questions around my identity and belonging like Brooke was saying worthiness like what who am i all those big questions dancing different than just you know your brain your brain wants to categorize things and put yourself in boxes and even language you know to a certain extent who are you just fell short for me but dancing oh my gosh the body can hold so many unresolvable paradoxes and juxtapositions i could be queer and also you know have a boyfriend i could dance and feel heartbroken and alive and excited mm-hmm. for life at the same time you know like all of these things 
I could hold all of these questions in bigger ways. So I know from an early age, just saved my life, just does. And I know that it's that's true for so many students that we work with, just saves their life again and again and again, makes it available to just take that one next step at being in this world because it's hard and it's complicated and it doesn't make sense. And art, you know, you splash paint on a canvas and black splatter exists with a, you know, a big, beautiful, calm pink stripe in a way that like, <laughs> how do you make sense of that? I don't know, but it does, you know, and, and so I just believe like Brooke does in that. And then the other thing that I'll say is that, again, throughout our practice of keep pulling out the rug from what it's defined as, what is art defined as, it moves us towards this expression of artistry, hmm. which is just like being you, <laughs> just practice of being you because there's no one else. There's only one Brooke. There's only one Leah. There's only one Lauren. And there's like a uniqueness sort of thing in that, like our unique artistry in the world, again, from moment to moment to moment. And then there's also just a deep interconnectedness. There's a oneness of that. We're all in this trying to just figure out how to be you and how to be us, you know, from moment to moment. And that just feels like the good work, you know, to pull it into your podcast. Like, what else should we be doing? but just trying to be good versions of ourselves, not like a constant, you know, work in progress, but like good with a capital G. Yeah. So now I've just been over here silently crying for four minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I love your face, Leah. Yeah. Mm. You got me, friend. Yeah. Brooke, do you have that poem about the geese? I would love to hear it if you have it. Yeah. Do you know it? I don't think I do. And now I want to. So so I had studied poetry in high school and then I had never, I had studied pretty traditional, um, the canon of like pretty Eurocentric, honestly, and pretty not much free verse. But I still loved a lot of what I read. I loved Shakespeare and whatnot. But then I came to college and it was a liberal liberal arts school and I wanted to study dance and poetry. And someone in my poetry class was like, have you heard of Mary Oliver? And now, you know, now I feel I don't often read Mary Oliver because I got so into her that I got a bit saturated. I still like love and respect her work so much. But at the point that I first heard this poem, I had never heard anything like it. So it's called Wild Geese. Can you say that one more time without my ding? Yeah. <laughs> the, title, <laughs> the title of it? Yeah. 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 So this is by Mary Oliver and it's called Wild Geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes. 
over the prairies and the deep trees, mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. Such a good one. Yeah. <laughs> but I like I like the paradox also of how Lauren just ended her like beautiful reflections with like how can we be a good version good with a capital g that means mm-hmm. in my mind that means um whole and intimate and 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 also ethical yeah like not moral and perfect but like having mm-hmm. some ethical inquiries going on about yeah. compassion and being a good person you know at least yeah. about that um i like that mixed with the the just belief of you do not have to be good in terms of the the ways that are like crusty and old kind of calcified versions that that I know I carry around about how I have to be good and they limit me from actually being good in a more radical free way like current with who I am now not like something I learned when I was five. So I like yeah. Lauren being like, we're mm-hmm. here to be good versions of ourselves. Good with the capital G. And Mary Oliver says, you do not have to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels like that move from like perfectionistic, idealized <sighs> versions, conventional notions of, you know, who we, we should be in the world and, and actually just dropping that to actually just be available wholeheartedly. radically I love that radically to what's alive in the moment you know Mm -hmm. interconnected and deep listening and available to each other and yeah just redefining good yeah and what we both practice and study and share zen and our teacher Diane Musher Hamilton she's often a huge feature of our training is uh she'll say to pay attention to the whole like in any given moment to track our own needs and desires and truths, but also to open our senses and to practice that counterintuitive move sometimes of opening our attention to like what else is going on in this room, in our country, in the world. And and not that we have to fix it all, but like what's our yeah. function right now to serve the whole? It doesn't have to be like stress us out again to fix everything, but how can I serve the whole right now? And like, I'm so slow. I'm just, just connecting that we're talking about the word good and it's in your podcast name. <laughs> so that's why I'm like, oh, wow, this is the name of the podcast. Good work. It sure <laughs> is. Good and job. I mean, really, you know, that's why I think it just like popped me right, you know, right here. I'm like, this is what has been, you know, the question that's been in my heart for so long. And it's just so beautiful and tickles me that we, again, it's like the <laughs> the space between the three of us kind of led us there without me even having to ask the question, mm-hmm. what does good work mean to you? Gosh, I just I appreciate yeah. you both so much. 
it moves me, you know, my curiosity now just from good to, to work. I'm so curious, you know, what, what is Leah, when you thought of this podcast, mm-hmm. you know, good work, it's the work. That's the question, right? Because when we think about the word work, it sounds like efforting right? Efforting and achievement and the thing that I made or the thing that I, you know, helped come into the world that did some good, right? But I'm, I'm doing, it's a doing word. And, you know, my question to myself has been, how can we yes and Mm -hmm. these two words and have them and have in the way that you said at the beginning, you know, crush having this dual meaning, you know, I think good work. I mean, I think through the conversations that I've had in this series, it's not just a dual meaning. It's like this is a diamond with so many facets because good, good work could be that act of just, you know, pausing and and listening and being available, as you said, to what's actually happening for you, while also being aware of the, you know, the many challenges in the world. And, you know, for me, when I think of good work, and I haven't even really, you know, I, I haven't been talking much on these episodes, because we're here for you. But sneaky asking me questions. Um, (laughs) When I think about good work, I also do have a habitual default to the projects that I've worked on or the, you know, work that I've done in the past that is kind of visibly and externally recognized and applauded as good, Mm -hmm. right? And it makes me think about how you know how can we how can we do that kind of good work that is hopefully you know helping to repair some of the harms of the world in our own small way uh, while also being good to ourselves and knowing that that relationship between the two you know the two help each other and they are in relationship to each other mm-hmm. yeah it's making me remember I heard a, f- a friend of ours that works in climate change shared a statistic with me about how if, you know, a certain amount of people worked one less day a week, it actually would decrease the carbon footprint significantly. You know, I don't I obviously I wish I had more detail on the statistic, but just I think the premise got me my wheels turning like, oh, yes, work has a dual meaning in terms of what we do and also what we, how we can suspend doing, mm-hmm. what we can do for the world, but also what we can do in terms of good for ourselves. And then also, I love to contemplate how work is, at least in relationship with play. <laughs> like it doesn't have yeah. to look like stereotypical play all the time, but can it have the energetics of aliveness that are characteristic of play? Can it have yes living questions that create a little engine inside where it doesn't feel so fucking heavy all the time. Yeah, work, The wor- just the word feels heavy and, you know, I labor. have to labor, laborious. Yeah. Yeah. And in listening to you, Leah, you know, even as you were kind of describing, I felt, I felt this beautiful 
almost paradigm shift, like I imagine in your nervous system and in your imagination, in your just lived experience of worldviews. Like Mm -hmm. when you're holding just like that ego centered worldview work, good work, you know, how have you manifested yourself in the world and made a name for yourself and, you know, and success and like you're saying, achievement oriented Mm -hmm. and just like watching the way in which you just burn through relationships and resources for the sake of, you know, that and, or just also, you know, notions of like, well, safety and security. I got to work to make money. I got to work to feed my family. I got to work, you know, and mm-hmm. but just moving ever so slightly to the whole. If you're oriented towards the whole, you're including multiple ways of seeing yourself in relationship to others and relationship to the earth and relationship to the global humanity and the universe, all of a sudden work just begins to just start aerating yeah. what it means, what it can mean and what it, what it actually does meaning when you're holding those perspectives, work starts to really shift. Yeah. And I just saw, I just heard that in, in just how you were describing it, you know, throughout your life, the way in which work has changed and, and very much inside of mine. And then I know that I orient and find people. I mean, gosh, my collaboration with Brooke couldn't be as dynamic and probably couldn't continue to live on if we thought about the idea of work in really different ways, you know, because it Mm -hmm. feels like we are continuously sourcing this relationship, work, play, work, play, function. How is this functioning in the world? What is this doing? What is our, what's the feedback? Is it serving? Like, what are the questions? What are the, what are the things? What are the needs in our society? And how can we keep reshaping and shaping and keeping the work slash play alive mm-hmm. so that it's enlivening to us? We're, we're getting nourished, but we're, but others are getting nourished in ways that aren't depleting our families because we're just working all the time, but like giving life to our families, nourishing financially, but also nourishing relationships and that things are the whole ecosystem is being enlivened by what we're choosing to pay attention to and cultivate inside of our work domain. So that feels just like a living question for sure. Brooke, Lauren, thank you. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for all of your, as I, as I knew they would be thoughtful, articulate, insightful perspectives. Always appreciate you both so much. Thank you for this. We love you big time. Thank you for having us, Leah. Yeah, we appreciate you. Thanks for your good work in the world. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening, friends. I'd love for you to join this conversation and hear your perspective too. To connect with us, head over to leahleonard.me and way to go. Good work.